Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Uh, we took last week off somewhat um, inadvertently, but that's just how real life goes. But also, I'm kind of glad we went a week without having to talk about the 2021 Seattle Seahawks. Adam, how are we, sir? Uh, I mean, over the span of 16 days, we've had three 5 a.m. bedtimes with three last-minute potential game winners in terrible games and lost. So you don't really need to ask me how I am. Okay. Um, how, I, how I'm coping is probably more of a, a pertinent question, but how I am, especially when it comes to this topic, is not great, Bob, not great. <laughs> not great. Yeah, uh, Pete Campbell in all of us. Uh, I, I kind of wish I was more Roger Sterling in the latest series of that as well, just high <laughs> off the 1960s. Uh, joining myself, Adam, is one of our friends and hosts, writer of Cigar Thoughts, the article, the weekly article, and now podcast. Welcome back to the Ped Pod, Jackson Bevins. How are we, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, man. I, I really love coming on Talking Ball with you guys, so thank you for the opportunity. No worries. Uh, well, uh, look, we've, obviously, the first couple of times, we've, we've let Rob State and hold your hand a bit on the show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Training, that, training wheels yeah. are off today. Training wheels are off now, so it's just you, Jackson. Now, yeah, obviously... It's a big audience compared to what you're used to. So, you know, just want to say, like, there's about nine people watching this right now. So, you know, this is big time. This is big time. So, uh, last night, I, I, I gave up, uh, full disclosure, I gave up at halftime and woke up this morning, read your cigar thoughts, Jackson, and went, yeah, I'm not watching the second half. I'll just take what didn't miss much. Jackson wrote is what happened. Um, uh, like... The process of the career in off the side of the road um, is just all it's lacking now is the Michael Caine saying he's got a plan because it doesn't appear to be one, uh, Adam. Yeah, it's rough, man. Um, I somehow watched the whole game because I kept waiting for the Saints to make <laughs> to make it a two-score game because it was 10-7 at halftime. I kind of figured they were going to put one more drive together and I didn't think we were going to put anything together, which kind of didn't until the the fumble that Amadi caused. Um, but then all of a sudden it was four o'clock and I was like, well, it's only five minutes to go now, so I might as well watch the rest of it. Uh, and I, you know, it was, it was a double whammy, but um, it was, last night was rough um, and quite, I think more deflating. Like the Steelers game, you can understand you go on the road to a, a, still a good team that Pittsburgh might make the playoffs, but the Saints, I mean, they're not shit. Let's be honest. And to, for someone to just sort of hold their hand out, like when you've got a kid who's trying to punch you and you just put your hand on his forehead and just let him swing at you the whole time. It's kind of how Seattle feel right now. And it's, it's pretty depressing to watch after the last decade, Jackson. It is. Um, you know, one of the things that has been a consistent refrain for me in my articles over the last 10 years has been enjoy it while it lasts because we've gotten really used to the Seahawks winning and <clears throat> we forget that half the teams lose every week and most teams fans end the season upset with how the season went and calling for change. And while, while there's been some of that uh, in previous years, you know, the, the rumblings growing a little bit louder with the way Pete Carroll calls the games, the way John Schneider uh, has drafted and, and even a contingent, 
fed up with Russell Wilson and the way he handled the offseason. You know, there there was some of this where, okay, maybe we could see it changing. And I just kept banging the drum. Appreciate this. Appreciate the wins. Appreciate how exciting and how interesting this team is. Because this isn't how it is for most teams. And this isn't how it was for most of Seattle's franchise history. And at some point, you know, I remember saying at some point, Earl and Cam and Marshawn and Richard Sherman and Doug Baldwin and Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and John Schneider are all going to be gone. And I don't want to look back on however long that lasts with those guys together and, and not have enjoyed it. But I think now, finally, the chickens have come home and they've been kicking the can down the road as a franchise. I think Russell Wilson has been covering a multitude of sins uh, as far as the process goes with building and running a team for about five years now. And, and now that Russ is gone, you know, it's like I said in the article, every team just about is going to look worse when their starting quarterback is out. But good coaching keeps that to a step back or maybe two steps back. Mm. Seahawks fell down the staircase as soon as Russ got hurt. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we can't I mean, we can't saw it, the team we played last night because Winston is worse than I thought and he looked in the, the first couple of weeks of the season but they kind of well obviously we aided them but they kind of got by and relied on their best player to get them out and get them out of Seattle with a win and Alvin Kamara when one of the things it seemed to I think your your Twitter feed in particular Jackson was how the Seahawks offensively just did not do that they just kept they kept their best players on that field at last night Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf almost on the sideline, the other side of the white line kind of thing, whilst the Saints realised the situation they're in and lent on their offensive, the one offensive weapon really, uh, minus Michael Thomas. That that's, that's just adds to the frustration that the Saints coaching can do it with Sean Payton and all their offensive guys, and our guys just seem to carry on regardless. Stu, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, this this felt like one of those games where each team sent out their champion, you know, like kind of how the old the old Greek wars used to do if the two generals would agree instead of getting all our men killed, you send out your best fighter, I'll send out my best fighter. Winner of that fight wins wins the battle. And that's kind of how I felt with DK Metcalf and Alvin Kamara. And I think what was really frustrating for me is you saw the Saints, the Saints gave him 12 touches on a single drive. Alvin Kamara, like they didn't, they didn't fuck around. They were like, okay, all our receivers are hurt. Our quarterback is okay on his best day. We're just going to give the ball to the one elite asset that we have on offense over and over and over again. And it worked. The guy had over hundred yards receiving in the first half. DK Metcalf, Metcalf got one opportunity in the first half, one. And he housed it for 84 yards. That's the longest pass play the Seahawks have had in over a decade on his one shot. And then for 43 minutes, 43 minutes until he saw his next target. During that time, Rashad Penny and Alex Collins ran the ball 16 times for 31 yards. 16 carries, 31 yards from rotational running backs when DK Metcalf is absolutely kicking the shit out of Marshawn Lattimore on every play. And they're not even giving him a chance. They're not even throwing him a jump ball or a contested catch situation. It was so maddening because if they just went out and they, they took their shot and let their dick swing and they lost, then that's fine. But they didn't. They stayed conservative. They stayed boring. And 
okay, you want to run a lot? Great. How about let's get a little bit of ingenuity? They had two runs over seven yards in that game, and they were both jet sweeps. Every other time that they handed the ball off, it was just right into the middle and hope that you get three or four yards. It was bad. I think the most frustrating thing is that the last 30 seconds of what you've just said, you could probably stick that onto a lot of match reports from Seahawk games over the last 18 months and it would ring true. And I guess maybe it's, it's probably different for us because the time which the games are played, there's very much like a lifestyle shift that has to happen to watch the games over here and like to support and really be passionate about it. And I've not really been up for the games this year, like up, up physically, but mentally I've just not been there and I don't know what it is. And the more I think about it, that Rams playoff game really pissed me off to a point of like almost giving me like a malaise because I, that made me feel like we're wasting what we have. And it's stupid because no one tells me I have to stay up to five in the morning to watch it, but I do. And ultimately, like if I'm going to do it, you'd love there to be some payoff for it. And I don't know. I think my overall takeaway is um, certainly from the last month is that in the summer, I thought the Seahawks should take, an offer of three first round picks for Russell Wilson only because I kind of figured he was going to get traded next year and we'll end up having less. We'll get less than three right now. I wouldn't take six first round picks for Russell Wilson because Jameis Winston is probably better than what we would get next year. If we traded for someone or drafted someone and I'm not in this for that. Sorry. (laughs) I'm not going through that. Like, that, that life's too short. There's nothing you could give me that I would take for Russell Wilson right now because I've seen the other side of the coin and I want no part of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Mike Tomlin says that he does when Roethlisberger leaves probably this year, he doesn't want a rookie. He wants an experienced guy because he doesn't want the growing pains. He wants to like keep the window open kind of thing. Like the window is closed. That's not saying the window is still open for the Seahawks team, but the, the window will be cast iron shut if they traded for Russell Wilson, even though it still feels like the likeliest outcome is that he is playing elsewhere because he's a legacy guy and what is left outside of him next year is not good for his legacy. No, totally. And think about, think about the domino effect of Russell Wilson leaving. If he leaves, DK Metcalf is going to become the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history in a year to a year and a half. That is going to happen that Mm. barring him breaking his back. That is a certainty. Why would he do that here? If Russell Wilson is gone Mm. and Pete Carroll is still calling plays like he did everything he could at the beginning of that game to say, guys, I got this coach. I got this. I'm going to go (laughs) kick their ass on every play. Oh, you're going to, you're going to run up the middle. I'm going to go whoop this all pro cornerbacks ass. And then you're going to give me one shot. I'm going to house it. Like give me, let me do this. And I can only imagine how much he was just seething during that game. And after the game to not even be given opportunities, why would he stay? And then you lose DK Metcalf. I mean, what, what's there left to cheer for on this team? Yeah. I mean, also like if DK does, walk away with Russell Wilson. We've got a, what, 32, three-year-old Tyler Luckett? Mm-hmm. Probably no Tyler. Oh, this is, this is even more depressing it gets, than the last one. <laughs> it, gets, 
it gets bad really, really fast, man. Yeah. It, gets, it gets bad really fast. And, and if this is the end of the marriage, you know, uh, I had, I had Joe fan on last week and on, on my podcast and love that guy. He, he's got some of the most salient commentary on the Seahawks that I've come across. And, and he was covering the team as a beat reporter all through the off season. He came away convinced that yes, there was real tension between uh, the coaching staff and Russell Wilson, between the front office and Russell Wilson, but that they really did come together. They went to marriage counseling and said, Hey, let's give this one more shot. And this season was going to really decide whether they could coexist long-term. Russell Wilson watched Tom Brady leave the greatest coach of all time, go somewhere else, pick his teammates, watch a coach build an offense designed specifically around what he does well and win a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson is obsessed with his legacy, obsessed. He wants to win Super Bowls. Everyone does. Russell Wilson's like a legitimate sociopath when it comes to this stuff. And I just don't see any way that if Pete Carroll is still around that he's like, yeah, this is, this is the ship I'm going to sail on for the next four years. And so, you know, we have no idea how involved Jody Allen has been as owner of this team since Paul passed away, but there's a decision coming. And I just, and I said this last time I was on with you guys, I just, I can't imagine being all in as a Seahawks fan. If they choose to keep a 70 something year old coach that the game has clearly out evolved, over an in their prime hall of fame quarterback. It just, but it's Pete doesn't have a boss. It's going to take Jody coming in and saying, yeah, you got to go. Yeah. But also, yeah, I mean, is, there, there's been, you know, there's been quite a few tweets. I think Greg Bell tweeted out right at the end of the game. Like, well, what did you expect the game to be like without your franchise quarterback? And that that's all well and good. And I don't disagree with that, but if Russell Wilson was playing in that game, Pete Carroll still would have developed the game plan around waiting for James Winston to make a mistake. Like, let's not, let's not think that the, the Seahawks were putting up 40 points and sling it over the yard. It was a rainy day. It was a windy day. We probably wouldn't have scored more than 24, 27 at a push mm-hmm. points. So, yeah, Wilson was out. But it's bigger than that. And it's a shame. Like, Stu and I had quite a good chat on WhatsApp earlier today about Pete Carroll. And I don't want the guy to be the coach anymore. But it, it's become quite sad now. Um, I have no anger or aggression towards Pete Carroll because he's a legend. But watching the way in which it's, you know, the demise is maybe a strong word, but the way in which it's sort of crumbling around him, it's quite sad. It, 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 it was quite um, on the nose that Matt Hasselbeck had his number retired against the Saints last night because that kind of felt, that piece quake and everything around there, that 7-9 put in, was it 47 they put on the Saints that day? That kind of felt like the A the bookend and last night with Hasselbeck's number going up kind of felt like the Z, the other end of the bookend of the bookshelf kind of thing. Great way of putting it. That's a great way. It was quite, yeah, it kind of hit me listening. Matt Hasselbeck's speech was incredible. I mean, he, yeah, put put him in the locker room on Sunday, but, and then obviously now we've got Holmgren on Sunday as well. It, It just, it was quite, it feels like, I know Pete Carroll's always competing, win forever and everything, but it seems like this is really, draining him. I mean, the Patriots are not winning as effortlessly as they did for a decade with Brady, but Belichick still seems to have that zip about him. Nick Saban, obviously, he's still winning, but he seems to have that zip, and it just seems to completely 
just washed away out of Pete Carroll's expressions. I mean, he's been on the radio today and said, this might, our pal Mike Dugard put it, he said the quiet part out loud with like Russell Wilson's the reason he's still here kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it is quite yeah, like like the picture I posted on social media of Wenger standing above the dugout at Old Trafford in two thousand and seven, maybe Adam, and like he's just been absolutely castigated by all people around him. It kind of felt like that's what we're going to watch. We watched the last month, and what we're going to watch for the next seven eight weeks with Pete because the Matt Hasselbeck thing is like the bookend thing, and yeah, it was quite something with that. Yeah, you know, it's it's something where I tried really, really hard to put it in into words. This is this is such a big thing as a Seahawks fan, um, and and I feel for you guys as, as Seahawks fans because me, I'm I'm a lifelong Chargers fan now, and so <laughs> you know, I I just I, I don't know what it would be like to be a Seahawks fan. <laughs> terrible, but uh, no, when I was when I was thinking about it, you know, I I really wanted to try and, and put this into words as best as I could. And, and the best that I could do with it, I just want to read it to you is, is something I wrote last night. Cause like you, I mean, these night games are killing me. Just, just let us suck in peace, man. Stop, <laughs> stop putting us in front of the whole world. But um, what I wrote was we can appreciate that Pete Carroll is the most important coach in Seattle sports history without shackling ourselves to him in perpetuity. Success in the NFL is all about evolution and literally nothing about this game or this season for that matter, indicates that the Seahawks are evolving at anywhere near the pace necessary to compete for Super Bowls. You mentioned Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. Those are guys who have sustained winning, and they've both been open about the need to understand that the game has changed Mm -hmm. and to change their approach as a result. We have seen the Patriots win every which way. Early in Tom Brady's career, they just ran, 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 played great defense. It was very much the Pete Carroll style of football. And then – the game started to open up and they went out and they drafted really well wide receivers getting in, you know, Wes Walker and Julian Edelman. They brought in Randy Moss. They got Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and they set records on offense. I remember there was a game. I can't remember what year it was. I want to say it was right around like 2011, 2012. And they had like a 10 point lead against the jets with four minutes left or five minutes left or something. And they passed it on the final 10 plays until they kneeled it out because that's, they just knew they could get it. They, they were just obliterating the jets on these short routes. He has an accurate quarterback that throws with impeccable timing. And so they just did that. Like what's, what's the Patriots MO. There isn't one. It changes week to week opponent to opponent. That is what it takes. It takes adaptation and nothing that we've seen or heard from Pete Carroll indicates that he has any inclination to doing that and i don't know do you guys get the the manning simulcast over there somewhere i think i think it's on we have like the streaming thing game pass thing i think it's on there but not on our like actual tvs so i i listened to that for for a while because they had marshawn in there and they had they had tom brady in there and in the second quarter tom brady was there and they were talking about the defenses that they had the toughest times with in their career and of course how could Peyton Manning say anything but <laughs> the Seahawks, right? The original mm-hmm. Legion of Boom. And he was talking about how back then there was no disguises to what they were doing. They just said, come get us. We're going to kick the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. So give it your best shot. And he said that was really tough because he just knew how good they were. 
And they were talking about like, they're still kind of doing the same thing. They don't disguise any coverages. They don't stunt. They, they don't hide uh, where the pressure is coming from. They telegraph their coverages. And now they just don't have the talent. They don't have Averill and Bennett and Chris Clemens coming off the edge. They don't have KJ right there uh, who can really take away the flats. They don't have three hall of famers in the secondary. They're just sitting back and letting defenses pick how they want to beat them. It's extremely frustrating. And I just don't see how Pete Carroll now can pivot. Yeah. Also in Nick Saban, he hires like 45 assistants mm-hmm. to do everything for him. I mean, I think Bill O'Brien's down there now after he lost Sarkeesian, he was just replaced him with an NFL offensive coordinator and head coach. Cause he knows he wants every nook and cranny covered. He knows he can't do that while he's recruiting five stars from all over the country. Uh, but also with, with, but Pete, Pete could say that he has tried to do that with Shane Waldron, but it appears, what, seven weeks in, either Waldron is not very good or that was just pure window dressing to appease the quarterback and nothing more because nothing has changed bar, what, seven jet sweeps and a couple of terrible uh, wide receiver tight end screens. (laughs) Yeah, man, it's been atrocious. It has been atrocious. Like, the thing about the Rams offense is Goff could be going through a really rough stretch and they were still able to scheme offenses that would score. John Wolford would come in and they could still move the ball and still Mm -hmm. score and run effectively and be dynamic and make it easy on the quarterback. Nothing about this offense looks anything like that. No. And uh, particularly at the minute, easy on the quarterback. Well, look, I mean, the Geno Smith thing is something that does need to be addressed, I think. Um, And I don't want to, slate Gino you know as a guy or player because ultimately he's been a walking meme of a quarterback for 10 years like everyone knows that Gino Smith is a joke of a player unfortunately and it's harsh to say it but you know Pete Carroll has always been about always compete you know bring someone in challenge and whatever and yet he's basically just punted on what becomes the most important position you have after the actual most important position in your starting quarterback in giving like Geno Smith the job for, for three years. And I think Mina Kimes obviously made a terrific point today because she only deals in terrific points where she said, like, if this is the way you want your offense to play because you don't trust your backup quarterback, maybe you shouldn't be a backup quarterback. And that's patently true. And if it was year one, you could say, well, look, they didn't know what they had, but they've been watching Geno Smith for three years And so I just don't understand what they've seen to suggest that like, I'm an idiot. And I could have told you that Geno Smith was not really going to do anything in proper games when there's tape on him. And like, I I think I tweeted out last night that if they picked up like Gardner Minshew, they probably would have won two games in the last eight days. Totally. Um, And he was there. Yeah. He was there for free. Yeah. Like, you know, Cam Newton has his detractors again, two wins with Cam Newton in the last week without question. Um, you know, Geno Smith is like a level below the Nick Foles of this world who are like, at least they can come in and play a game. Like Geno is not up to that level. Now he might beat the Jaguars on, on Sunday. I mean, he better beat the Jaguars on Sunday, <laughs> but the way in which they've punted on that position. Your guys' home team, is that going to be tough for you? Oh, man. No, no. <laughs> Urban Myers on the other sideline, no. Yeah. I, I don't care if it's the last game we win all season, as long as we beat Urban Meyer. <laughs> 
But like, I, I don't want to be critical of Pete Carroll tonight because it's like there's too much on him. And I don't want to be critical yeah. of Geno Smith as a guy. <clears throat> but that process around the, the quarterback position, I think that's been really poorly managed. And, you know, if we just split the last week, we could have made the playoffs. But I think we're fucked now because they just punted on a position that, that they have $12 million in the bank. So it's not even a money thing. Like, yeah. be better. And, and, and that's what's really got in my craw today, I have to say, Jackson. Yep. Um, I'm with you, man. And, you know, I, I like Gino and I was stunned at how well he played when he came in with the Rams. But again, you know, that's just small sample size. I mean, he handled that moment beautifully. Amazingly. Yeah. I don't put that final interception on him. He came in down two scores to one of the three or four best teams in the NFL and gave him a shot, you know? Um, But other than that, he's been bad. And I think the thing that was tough was to see how many times in the last two games, he just has no ability to adjust at the line of scrimmage when he sees looks that are disadvantageous to the play that was called in the huddle. He takes timeouts and he bails on the pocket immediately. Another thing that, that uh, the Mannings talked about a lot, we give Russell Wilson a lot of grief and I've always thought it was fairly well-earned for the way that he bails out of the pocket and kind of runs into a lot of sacks and stuff. And I think there's some of that. Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady, who have, you know, 10 Super Bowls, no, 11 Super Bowls between them in the last 20 years, all said Russell Wilson is the best at moving inside the pocket in the NFL. And for Gino, as soon as his first read wasn't there, he would back out of the back of the pocket and then try and run around and do things. It wasn't moving up through the pocket. It wasn't escaping out of the side. It wasn't moving his shoulders to get the safety leaning one way. It was first reads, not there. I'm out of here. And you just can't, I mean, I'm tough on the play calling, but there's no play call for a quarterback. That's going to do that. Mm-hmm. If, if your first guy isn't open and defenses doesn't take them long to figure that out. So just jump the routes. That's what they're doing. Just jump that first move because if you take that away, then Gina's going to start whirly burden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's just not pretty. Like the first half was, especially one day in the morning was hard to get through to half two, two thirty in the morning. But yeah, I can't imagine what four thirty looks like. Adam. Uh, defen- defensively has improved, but yeah, that's just, that's just kind of like a, a sidebar and everything. Because we it has improved. About how, we should talk about how good the defense was <clears throat> yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they were, they did everything they could in that game. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, the last two games, really, they've given them a chance to win, which is why the quarterback thing has frustrated me so much because you just needed 15% better quarterback play. And, and you're probably. The offense didn't have to be that good to win those two games. Mm. We could be uh, four and three. We could be four and three with like. Nick Foles, and that, that, that's what rankles with me right now. Totally, and think about that. You're four and three. You've got the tiebreaker over the Saints. You're going to win next week, presumably. All of a sudden, you're five and three going into your bye week with Russ looking like he's going to come back. That is a very, very, very different situation. And I think the thing that was so, so sad for me yesterday was almost not wanting them to win. I mm-hmm. didn't want to justify the process. The process of that game and everything that led up to it was so bad 
that it just made it really, really difficult to have seen, you know, if Myers had made both his kicks, you know, maybe they win. And then Pete's like, yes, that's what we did. We shortened the game. We body blows. We won when it matters. Can you win the game in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, all of that bullshit would have been justified. I think in his mind, had they pulled it out. That's really interesting because I totally understand why players coaches for them. If you win two, nothing go and celebrate on the plane back because you've earned, I think as the, as uh, the character in the wire, you earned that shit like a motherfucker, man. Like you earned it. If you win a net game in the NFL, you earned it. But as fans, and I feel like Seahawks fans in particular have been criticized a lot for this in the last five years of not really leaning into celebrating wins because we've kind of seen where those wins are taking us. And it's kind of led us to here. And I think that's one of those reasons again, that yeah, last night when Al Woods had that penalty to give him a first down, I wasn't even that pissed off. I was just like, well, okay, whatever. Because we've watched this happen. And this was at the end result of, you know, those last four or five years of, of, of the stodgy wins that like, yeah, okay, good for the players, but this doesn't look right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I said to you earlier, Adam, on WhatsApp, that it's all hindsight, but Pete Carroll probably should have walked away three years ago when he fired yeah. everyone, when he bought Schottenheimer in, when he bought Ken Norton back, who was chased out of um, Oakland, uh, I can call it Sion, but you can kind you kind of just sold it as, well, he, he did it once he could do it again, kind of thing, like $64 million man. Um, but yeah, he... Like he earned the trust because of what he did for the first decade, but also what he's done for most of his, apart from three, four years in New England and the Jets, done for most of his career. He's built a defence and run a defence to a standard where you can win football games. Obviously, USC was different because he recruited um, borderline with certain players. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like, but in, with hindsight, it probably... Russell Wilson has at least lost three years of his prime or his career when Pete Carroll probably should have walked. Because if you think about three years ago, Paul Allen had just died. So like the, the flux and the ownership above Pete Carroll and and everything else. But yeah, with Captain Hindsight being all turned up to a thousand, it's probably whatever happens in the next six months is probably should have happened in 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. Jackson. Well, here, here's the thing to that. I think that's a great point. I mean, he could have left and been totally minted, like free of criticism for the rest of his life. But these guys, they don't walk away. Coaches don't walk away, man. I mean, Joe Why Gibbs. Would you? Joe, yeah, Joe Gibbs came back. He'd accomplished everything that you could. Jimmy Johnson came back. You know, these guys, George Seifert came back. These are, are and, and they were all bad you know and it's just like the game evolves so so fast and and to your point Stu Pete Carroll has been arguably this side of Belichick the most influential defensive head coach in football for the last 20 years no way around it that guy changed the way we're, we're so hard on Pete now for seeming regressive in his approach he was so progressive in how he built the Seahawks. He built a defense back to front with a bunch of guys in the secondary outside of Earl Thomas that no one else wanted because Cam Chancellor was too big to be a safety, so but maybe too small to be a linebacker. 
Richard Sherman was a converted wide receiver who's way too tall to be a corner. Brandon Browner was this big, tall, stiff-hipped guy, all these things. And he went out and built a system that played to their strengths. And if Seattle was just was in this situation but were playing great defense, okay, you know what? This is Pete's thing, and maybe he just needs to turn over the offense a little bit, whatever. But the defense has been really bad and getting worse for years. And yeah, they've looked good against bad quarterbacks each of the last two weeks, no question. But anytime a decent quarterback, a Ryan Tannehill, a Kirk Cousins goes against them, they carve them up, carve them up. And then you go against good quarterbacks. Stafford, I mean, Stafford's playing with a hurt finger and he missed three or four wide open throws that would have added another hundred some yards to his already huge day. What's Aaron Rodgers going to do to this team? I mean, it's, 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 it's absurd how far the thing that justifies Pete Carroll is the defense. And that's been the worst part of the team. Yeah. Also, maybe maybe it's Pete Carroll who's spiking all these uh, wide receiver and Green Bay COVID tests because they're just falling by the wayside this week. It's mad. Uh, mad. So this is going to be a controversial one, Jackson. You're not going to like this, but it's a conversation I've wanted to have with you particularly because of your fandom for for someone. But we need to rebuild this. We we need to rebuild the Seahawks somehow. Yes, we do. And there's a lot of cash locked up that you're not really going to get back. And there's a lot of picks that are locked up that you can't get back. And I look at this roster right now and you're going to fucking hate this, but <laughs> it's something that I want to chat about because I'd, li- I'd like a really good counter argument that Stu's not been able to give me yet, but I reckon you probably can. I feel like DK Metcalf might have to be Frank Clarked for the good of the roster going forward. And I, in my, I can't find a way to justify paying him $25 million and going into the last year when he can be traded, I feel like I need a first and a second round pick somewhere. And I, I think he has to be my sacrificial lamb. But I know he's your favorite player in the game. And that's obviously, there's obviously an emotional attachment, but I, I'd love to know what you think about that because I can't see a way that we can jumpstart the roster unless Wilson goes and then it's, you know, tear the whole thing down. If you want to keep Russell and Jamal Adams, which I presume they will do, well, DK is probably the only first round pick on the roster outside of Russell Wilson right now. And, and I kind of feel like he may have to be Frank Clarked. Yeah. I, I think, I think I'd, I'd move on from some other people before DK, but it's on the table at this point, which is really hard to say. Um, I don't, I don't think you can get DK's value back in a trade. That's something that you got to understand going in. You're just not going to get it. And DK Metcalf is going to go be a Hall of Famer and dominate somewhere, wherever he goes, if he leaves Seattle. And we're just going to have to be at peace with watching that. And it's hard for me to look at any return and being like, yeah, well, we we had to do it. You know, Frank Clark (laughs) is a great Frank Clark is a great comparison from a contract standpoint. Like he was one of the best players on the team. And in fairness, they've they've not they've not replaced him. So I'm not saying it's without risk because as much as Frank Clark's been a, probably a flop in Kansas, we miss him. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah. you. Oh my gosh. We miss him. We miss him big time. And, and, you know, I, that's why I think the Daryl Taylor pick was so big because he is a Frank Clark clone. And that's, that's a guy that, you know, they did a great job. I think bringing in someone that has the ability to be a disruptor. And we've seen that from him basically averaging a sack a game this year. And <clears throat> pardon me. The thing with DK and and forgive me, I'm I'm working through this for the first time. 
uh, in real time here because I've, I've never really considered that. But my favorite athlete, my two favorite athletes besides DK Metcalf are both basketball players. And it's Damian Lillard and LeBron James. And I've been a Portland Trailblazers fan my whole life. But Lillard is in a similar situation as Russell Wilson. He's just got nothing about the coaching, the front office, how they've built a team around him says, yeah, we're, we're going to take advantage of your prime and make us a championship contender. They, they just haven't gotten close to it. Same thing happened with LeBron in Cleveland. And when LeBron left, I went with him, you know, and I'll always root for the Blazers. They're, they're my team. But if Lillard goes somewhere, that's probably my new favorite team. And, and DK is kind of there for me. You know, if he goes to a team that's going to build around him and, I mean, can you imagine him on like the Chargers <laughs> or the Opposite Ravens Mike, Mike, like, or, the, Williams. or the Bills? Like, I, I mean, guess I, awesome. I should, I guess I should expand on the point slightly, which I, I've missed out in the sense that if you look at the top paid wide receivers, it doesn't appear to be a position that like, if you were building a franchise from the ground up, you'd say we need a star wide receiver. Like outside of Tyreek Hill, I think if you look at the, receivers that have been paid, paid. None of them have sniffed a championship game, let alone a Super Bowl. So I think it's as much like a, and it's boring to think about cap and and whatever, like who cares? But that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like we haven't got that much money and can we afford to do $25 million on a position whereby maybe we can get like, in the same way that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup probably cost the same thing. Do you know what I mean? As one DK Metcalf. And if you have Russell Wilson, I kind of feel like give me two versus one. Yeah, I think, I think the challenge with that line of thinking, we do it all the time whenever we see some high-priced free agents that we want sign elsewhere, or, or if we sign them, we're like, oh, well, look at these other contracts that all these other guys signed. We could have got you know, three pass rushers for what we were trying to offer Jadavian Clowney or whatever it is. But the thing is, you got to get those guys to come here, and they have to pan out, and and that's a lot of what ifs. And, and I'm someone that believes if you've got greatness, you, you keep it until you mm-hmm. absolutely can't. So I think at the root of your question, at least the way that I'm hearing it is, do the Seahawks need to tear it down? If you need to tear it down, yeah, okay. DK's on the table. Everybody is on the table. I think as long as Russell Wilson is there, you keep DK Metcalf there. Mm-hmm. I, I just... I, and I think you pay him. And the thing about making someone the highest paid player at their position is it doesn't last long. Mm-hmm. You know, by the end of their contract, they're the eighth, their 10th, their 12th highest paid player at their position because <laughs> the cap keeps going up and all those kinds of things. And I, I can't really think of a wide receiver when you combine age and production more deserving of the money than, uh, than him. And you know, yeah. there, there are teams that have gotten close. You mentioned Tyreek Hill. They won, they won a Super Bowl with him as one of the highest paid uh wide receivers. Travis Kelsey is the highest paid tight end. They made that work. Also had a quarterback on a rookie deal. Um, Devontae Adams has come close, I think, uh, at at really getting a Super Bowl. Stephon Diggs got paid really well. I think the Bills are are right there, and he's a huge reason for that. Uh the Steelers got really, really close with Antonio Brown a couple of times. Um, so, so while there might not be a ton of Super Bowl champions with really high paid wide receivers, I do think it's a position that uh, really can give you an edge in, in modern NFL. So I think the first thing you got to figure out is, is Pete Carroll part of the future? Uh, 
And if he is, let it all go. Let it all go. They're going to be wasted here. Yeah, yeah. If Pete Carroll's out of here, then man, keep Russ, keep Jamal Adams. Your oyster. Keep yeah, keep DK Metcalf, keep Tyler Lockett, keep these guys, and and let a new coach come in with some real talent and, and try and build a system that plays to their strengths. One of the most frustrating things is, you know, I've I wouldn't say I was like a staunch defender of the Jamal Adams trade, but I didn't hate the process behind it. What frustrates me is they brought him in without a plan. Yeah. And it's the same thing they did with Jimmy Graham. I loved the Jimmy Graham trade at the time, but then they put his hand in the dirt 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah. they, they traded for a wide receiver and tried to make him a part-time offensive lineman and teach him how to block defensive ends when he's never had to do that before. And that, that to me, I think is, is why you start at the top yeah. and say, look, if it is Pete Carroll, then these players are wasted here and get what you can for them. If you think you can move on from Pete, then you got to keep them. Yeah, one thing I don't want to go too deep on Jamal because we've been there for the last uh, <laughs> 15 months, but he is playing well, but the Seahawks don't have a top 10 pick in 2022 because of him. Well, not because of him, but because of the deal to bring him here, but he's playing well or as he should. But even then, there's still like room for more because the Seahawks... The, the worst part of the trade for me, I think I messaged you this, Adam, was this second round, the second first round pick. Second first round pick. I don't mind the first round pick. I don't really mind the second or third round pick, whichever the other one was. Don't mind Bradley McDougall, who I think is out of the league as it currently. If not, it's from someone's practice squad. The second second round pick when you had Bobby Wagner, the wrong side of 30, Dwayne Brown, the wrong side of 35, Russell Wilson, going to want to be paid, DK Metcalf going to want to be paid, Shaquille Griffin going to want to be paid. You, you, they weren't all going to get, clearly, weren't all going to get their slice of the cheese and to cut off such a, what, <laughs> what is proven to be a more valuable asset than we probably realised when we made the trade 15 months ago when we're now with top 10 pick to the Jets <laughs> is incredibly annoying. And it Jamal, is super Jamal, annoying. Jamal Adams playing wild does not cushion that soothe that blow any less because no yeah part of the the reason i was so okay with the trade is i was like well these are late first round picks they're essentially (laughs) overpaid second rounders you know like who gives a shit about the (laughs) pick in the draft because russell wilson is gonna get you to the playoffs he's gonna win you double digit games and you're gonna be picking in those final eight or nine picks in the first round somewhere and i don't really care about losing those picks now, I mean, this, this just brings us back to the fact that they have completely gotten rid of their safety net by mm-hmm. drafting poorly, by punting first-round picks. I mean, Daryl Taylor is out, and LJ Collier is still a healthy scratch. It's, Rash- it's awful. Rashad Penny is in his contract year, and he's yet to start an NFL game. Insane. Mad. But uh, when, he, when he just plays, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, you, can, you can probably see why he hasn't had a start, in fairness, because yeah. uh, he, he wasn't wasn't great yesterday. But yeah, I mean, the weird thing about Jamal Adams is, as we we also had Joe Fan on last week. He did the he did the rounds of the podcast last, last week, Jackson, <laughs> and then had Chris Long yeah, and Chris Carter casually in the weekend as well. Yeah, I, I think we we said that like if this is Jamal Adams playing well, then the contract becomes almost more difficult to comprehend because. Like, yeah, it's great that he cuts off the seam and he cuts off, you know, a couple of long passes a game. But for a million dollars a game, 
I kind of, we, we kind of need a bit more than that. And, and that's not even his fault. That's just unfortunate the way his position right, is. Right. But, and and it, it just doesn't appear to be a, a, a way in which that, I'm not sure he'll ever be able to justify his contract if this is what him playing well is, if that makes sense. But no, he's, he's put in an almost can't win situation. And I mean, he's not a well-rounded do everything above average type of guy. He is elite at a couple of things. Mm. And when you have a player like that, make the vast majority of his responsibility just doing the things that he's great at. That was, that was the beautiful thing about the old Seahawks defenses is Brandon Browner couldn't stay with anybody on a double move. So they never asked him to, they asked him to get up in a wide receiver's face and jam him off the line and disrupt, disrupt the timing of his route. And then if he misses, if the guy gets past him, Earl's got your back. And that was beautiful. They never asked him to do things. He didn't, he wasn't good at doing. I think he's the perfect example of that. And, and that's just not the case. For Seattle's best players anymore. Yeah. And like 2012, Bruce Irvin was the 14th, 15th pick. For the first two years of his NFL career, he was just asked to do one thing, and that was get upfield to the quarterback as quick as you could, because that's what he did to yeah. be the 14th, 15th pick in that draft. And yeah, they just don't do it anymore with anyone. And then Percy Harvin coming off to the first round pick, and he had the kickoff return in the Super Bowl, which is pretty much why you traded for. Percy Harvin for that electric uh, moment. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think that's everything. I think we've covered every base. Um, <laughs> moving forward, the Jags, please, 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 please. I can't, nah. We're not, nah, we're not nah, even nah. previewing this Jaguars game. Nah, let's nah, just, nah, nah. let's just, just, uh... just win. Just please win because Urban Meyer, no, 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 no. Not going <laughs> to talk it into the universe because, yes, uh, the worst of the worst of the worst. Uh, anything else, Adam? No, I think we need to go. You know, Jack Jackson's had two opportunities in the bin now, so you know it's, it's his third one. So can, can he step up with a, a good yeah. bin? I mean, let, let's let's go. go I for mean, a spin. I mean, I mean, Joe Fan put Brooks Kepka in the bin two weeks ago, so because <laughs> he drilled him exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jackson, anyone for the trash can, the bin? Absolutely, uh, NFL's oversight committee or whatever they're calling that. Uh, it's just so clear that it's an inside job and you know, they, they just sent Gruden out as the sacrificial lamb on this whole email thing, this whole Washington football team scandal that's been going on kind of under the radar for the last few years. And, you know, I'm John Gruden's got to, you know, he's got to deal with the consequences of the way that he speaks about marginalized people and, and all of those kinds of things. I'm not absolving him in any way that they came out, say they reviewed 650,000 emails and they're like, nope, everything else was good. All of these other old, rich, white men didn't say anything that was detrimental to any marginalized people or anything that was you know, punishable, just like, nope, we got the one bad actor. Like, give me a break, you know, and, and all this stuff coming out about the NFL's top lawyer, who's the second highest paid employee in the NFL, just being super buddy, buddy with the president of the Washington football team and giving him the heads up that, Hey, there might be some sanctions coming down, but I got your back joking about trading players who had spoken up for the players association and, and all these kinds of things. There's no, there's no consequences for any of this. Nothing about the establishment is shaken by this. They got their guy. 
Yeah, and also I think Woody Johnson was asked about it today. He goes, now I'm here to talk about football, which this is about football. It's kind of like, it's just not the football they want to talk about, obviously. But yeah, it's just, it's disappointing. But also on that, on along those lines, the Deshaun Watson trade talks are doing my fruit in because why is, talk about Deshaun Watson, but don't talk about this aspect of Deshaun Watson. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, I mean, he's not even on, on the exempt list yet. No, he's Pres- just inactive. Presumably, he's, he, presumably, he, presumably the second the team's going to make him active, he's going to go on the exempt list straight away, I guess. But, he, but he's, 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 he's on... He's the Texans' LJ Collier. He's on the inactive list every week. Yeah. Like, it's, in, it, it's insane. And we have everyone talking about um, trade talks. Like I said, it's like we've got the Saudi ownership thing over here, and it's just it's so... Uh, it's like a mirror image of that. It's just people in the media who aren't particularly, no fault of their own, particularly qualified to talk about a subject like this being put on national TV uh, and having to talk about it where they don't have, obviously don't have the information and they don't know how to like skirt the issue without bringing it back all the way to uh, Sundays and where he makes his millions and millions of dollars when he's got still, I mean, 24 legal cases up against him and yeah I mean Miami and Carolina just yeah just hold, hold your horses uh, Adam I'm gonna lighten the mood a bit uh on on my bin <laughs> uh, my first my first one actually I don't know if you guys have watched the Patriots much in in the games they've played recently but Matthew Judon wears these bright red sleeves underneath his jersey and he literally looks like a different player on the field. And just, just go back and watch like the highlights of their game this week because it, it's a real standout. And it just doesn't make any sense that he's allowed to wear like a different kit to that rest of the team. He looks like a referee. I've, like it's that different. It's it's bizarre. I mean, um, I mean, we haven't had Byron Maxwell and Jermaine Curse for it, three or four like, years. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to come back at the pajamas. It's okay. like those pajamas, but in a different colour. But my second, <laughs> my second bin, and this actually gives him a chance to do, do a bit of a plug, but Jackson Bevins, you need to get in the bin because ah! five, five years ago, Stuart and I started on this podcast adventure. There wasn't, there weren't many of us, and you know we did decent content. But now, what with Michael Duke, Michael Sean Dugar, and you doing the Seahawk podcasts, you've left us in the fucking mud. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way, man. We're, we're miles no behind. We we can't compete with what you guys are churning out because the content is sensational. So A, get in the bin, but B, tell us about what you've done with Cigar Thoughts and Turn because uh, you know, you're giving us an hour of your time. So at least get a plug out of it and then uh, talk about what you're doing right now because it's it's sensational. You and uh, you and Mike. Uh, hey, thank you, man. Um, yeah, you know, it's something where Stu, you mentioned. Uh, used to watch the, the old video cast we, we did. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about cigar thoughts and the, the idea behind it real quick. And, and basically I started writing about the Seahawks just on a WordPress blog 12 years ago, something like that, just, just for my own sake. And like, I'd get six views per article in one comment and it would be my mom saying nice article, son. We know the and, feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right, right, right. And then, and then uh, you know, I got lucky. Pete Carroll happened, and then Russell Wilson happened, and Marshawn happened, and the Legion of Boom happened. And all of a sudden, the team I was writing about mattered beyond just this small envelope of Seahawks fans. They mattered nationally. They moved the needle. And I started 
writing these post-game articles meant mostly to just be therapy for me, a chance for me to get <laughs> all of the thoughts that were banging around in my head out so that I could go to sleep at night. And, and as those articles started to get a little bit more popular and people started to kind of resonate with them, I realized, you know, okay, what is it about this process that's, that's different than any other basement blogger? And I was like, okay, well, I sit back and I smoke a cigar after every game, collect my thoughts and then write about it. And, and I, I really kind of built it around that. And what I realized was a lot of people were into not just the Seahawks stuff, but, but sort of the aesthetic of the cigars and the whiskey and, and the rumination on it. And people just, they wanted more. And so we started a, a video cast. We were sponsored by a cigar lounge up here and, and it was amazing. Cigar lounge went away. That kind of fizzled. And a lot of people just been saying, Hey, when are you going to get a podcast going? When are you getting a podcast going? And I wanted to do it right. I wanted to make it sound professional. And there was only one person for the job and that's Mike Barwin. He's incredible. He's an absolute perfectionist. He stays up for hours after the episode going through and scrubbing the audio and making us sound good, making sure all the levels are good, all of these things. Um, so uh, a tremendous amount of credit goes to him. Uh, you know, the, the feedback that I've gotten on it, that is most meaningful to me is how good it sounds. And that that's it's a credit. Terrific. To the it's that, terrific. That is a credit to the production. And that's, that's all on Mike. And then fortunately people that we care about and want to listen to talk about the Seahawks read the article and, and they've been more than happy to jump on. Uh, and these are all the same people that have been, more than happy to give you guys an hour of their time. I mean, you guys have pulled some really, really amazing names and, and have, I mean, you guys are, you guys are my favorite Seahawks podcast. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something where I'm really happy to be doing it my way, much, much like how you guys are doing it your way. And, uh, if anybody listening wants to check it out, it's easy to find cigar thoughts on whatever podcast platform you got. We've got a great guest every single week. We chop it up for an hour. I also do an audio read of each of the articles as soon as I'm done writing it, which these night games keeping me up till two <laughs> in the morning to do because it takes me, takes me two or three reads to, to get through it and make it sound the way I want it to. Um, but yeah, so you're going to get a couple pieces of content every week and uh, hopefully it, it, it helps improve Seahawks fandom just a little bit. Yeah, and like I said, I think I said to you before, Jackson, it's literally my go-to on a Monday morning, and it literally saved me 20 minutes of my morning this morning when I read your article. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not watching the second half of, um, <laughs> of that game. So I appreciate the, I guess that's public, it's like health and safety, public health warning that your article came. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking un, out for un, you, un, man. Unbeknownst <laughs> to come with on, um, <laughs> on uh, uh, overnight. Uh, one more thing, well, I think you mentioned a few times, Marshall Lynch is the greatest human being Walking the planet, I think. I think so. I mean, I he said so. he took a Henny shot, a Hennessy shot for those uh, two old over here. I don't know the chat we might do over the weekend about uh, Hennessy over here, Adam. But um, still not yeah. a clue what it is. No, it's yeah, all me. Uh, yeah, he said he took a Henny for both Manning's and himself to get warmed up. He swore six times on ESPN uh, with so the end end of the first quarter play. He just said, "What the fuck." Uh, which became, yeah, uh, he's just, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's, I, I went, that's one thing in Seattle two years ago. I went to 
the Beast Mode store near the stadium and everything was on. Everything said it was open apart from the door being locked and no one in the shop. Um, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like literally everything with him beats to its own drum. I, I don't know what the what the soccer or uh, equivalent and forgive me for calling it soccer um, dumb American over here. I don't know what what that equivalent would be, but he reminds me of Allen Iverson a lot. Where no one's gonna say Allen Iverson is the greatest basketball player of all time, but they're gonna include him on every list, right? Whether it's top twenty five, top fifty, the top seventy five. This is just released, but Hoopers talk about him reverentially, right? Like he was cooler than everybody else. He was a top five player, but he was cooler than everybody. And he still is. And the amount of love that he still still shows for the game of basketball, the amount of time and effort he puts in to mentoring young players and telling them how to, how to be famous responsibly and handle their money and all that stuff. That's what Marshawn is doing in a league that protects the team and not the players. And so to have someone out there, there've been lots of great players who have been advocates for younger players, but none of them have the gravitas as Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch is the coolest guy in any locker room he walks into. And for him to be giving this type of energy and time into helping the next generation be better, have better post-football lives, take care of their money. So cool to see. We've been lucky enough to speak to a couple of his old you know, colleagues in Cliff and Doug. And they, as you say, they speak reverentially about him, which is a great way to put it. But the, the number the number one that I can think of actually is Mike Robinson when we had him on like a few years ago when we mentioned to him that of all the players that were involved in Super Bowl 49, he seems to be the only one that kind of was able to deal with it and, and get through it and not throw it under the bus and and treat it almost as like shit happens. And, and it, in a way, it was his legacy that might have been altered yes. more than anyone else from it. And he yeah, was the so one much. that showed the most humility and seemed to get through it when it may cost them a Hall of Fame birth. Like it could be that yeah. serious. Yeah, um, but, and I, I think it, it, it's a measure of the man with yeah. that. I mean, the, the word Doug, Doug Baldwin used was strain, that he was the strain of that team that got the Super Bowls. Um, we'll save it for the next one. I'm sure it's yeah. a great so point. It's, it was sometimes Marshall Mitchell, literally, it is... Marshawn is an evergreen topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the Alan Iverson thing is that he could be a meme because of the practice uh, interview, but people like you, Hoopers, as you call them, Jackson, they always are the first to point out. No, 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 no. no. Go and watch the whole four and a half minute press conference that he gave because it basically was your mentals and your your chicken or whatever Marshawn said to Green Bay. Totally, exactly the same as that, and honestly. It was used in the Ted Lasso spoiler alert, Adam. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. So, stick our thoughts, Where can is, uh, uh, social media, Jackson? Where yeah. can people catch you? Yeah, you know, I I think the best the best place to connect with me is on Twitter. It's just at Jackson Bevins. Uh, there's no K in my first name. It's J A C S O N. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one on the planet. So just type that in and I'll no, no K, no K is okay. I've heard no K is okay. I've heard you say no that. K is okay. That's right. And uh, yeah, man, it's, that's me on there. You'll, you'll, you'll get me. So. Uh, and after this uh, glowing, uplifting, positive chat, me and Adam are getting on a plane in four and a half weeks and flying over out for the 49ers game. So if you are in the neighborhood, there's a, not, nothing would, your nothing would make me happier to have a couple of pints with you guys on game day. hundred percent. And I said, I, I need a, I need a stogie education. So uh, I'm definitely going to meet you for one of those at some point. 
I'll have I'll have them waiting for you. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, this until all usual means and methods, patreon.com forward slash the pedestrian podcast, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes to search for the pedestrian podcast. Uh, enjoy the game. <laughs> uh, wherever call the world you watch it from on Sunday. But until next time, this has been the pedestrian podcast. Go home. Thanks.